I think it would be safe to say that in general, none of us likes to look stupid. Um, and yet, somehow it seems like no matter how hard we try to avoid that, it still happens. Um, it happens to me regularly. Um, you don't notice something that everybody else notices, and you finally notice it, and everybody's like, duh. And you feel like, well, I'm sorry, I didn't get it. Or <clears throat> we're convinced of something that's true, and we loudly argue for it and put ourselves way out there. I know I'm right, and of course you're wrong. And then it's like, oh, great. There's that old, old saying, you don't hear it as much anymore, we have egg on our face. And that happens a lot. It's sort of something that Paul talks about in the beginning of 1 Corinthians. If you're visiting today, we're just starting this fall to just work through the whole book of 1 Corinthians. And he raises the whole issue of foolishness. Um, he talks a couple in the first chapter, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness. And then in verse 27, but God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. If you were here a couple weeks ago, we saw that the, the Corinthian church was divided. They were, they were in conflict. It wasn't just me and, the, me and you. It was multiple groups behind multiple leaders. And the result of that was that the church was divided. They were in conflict. But one of the things that Paul tries to focus on is, uh, what are we operating on? Are we operating on our wisdom or God's wisdom? Human wisdom or God's wisdom? And are we relying on our strength or God's strength? And part of what Paul tries to get them to see is that there are two wisdoms here. In our life, in our world, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but there are two very different wisdoms. They're not the same. There's human wisdom and there's God's wisdom. And there's two very different sources of power. There's humans that are just operating on their own, and there are humans that are, are believers who are relying on God's power. And I think part of what Paul is trying to point out is that if you look at a church like yours, Corinth, and, and where you have divisions and you have people fighting with each other, I think Paul wants to say, I can tell you right now, you have a church that's working on human power, not God, uh, human wisdom, not God's wisdom. And a bunch of leaders, they're relying on human power and not God's power. And of course, Paul makes that very strong point that the truth is, God's wisdom and power is so much greater. And that's where we really want to pick up today as we go ahead further in chapter 2. Who really is wise? Where is the real wisdom at? And, and I want to start with just verse 6 of chapter 2. Um, Paul says, we, as, as leaders in the church, we, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. The mature get it. The, the mature believers who understand what, what this is all about, they get this wisdom. But what we're speaking is not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. 
And one of the things that Paul points out, and he's talked about it before in chapter 1 and chapter 2, is that there's a lot of people who think they're wise. All of these humans and their logic and their reasoning, they think they're wise, but they're not really. They're foolish. But by the standards of all of those people and their great wisdom, they're going to look at us as Christians and they're going to say, what idiots? What chumps? They're believing all that. We know what's best. We know what's right. We know what's true. I ran across something I want to share with you. This is, um, I'm sure you all know Buckminster Fuller. You don't? Duh. Uh, no. Um, he was actually a, a pretty brilliant guy, but in the early 1900s. He was an architect and an inventor. He was extremely creative. And one of the things he noticed was the quantity of knowledge is doubling, but the rate of its doubling is speeding up so much. So he said in the, in the 1900s and before, the, the knowledge in the world doubled about once every century. But as communication and, and a lot of other things advanced, that sped up. By 1945, everything we know as humans was doubling every 25 years. He estimated he died in 83. But he estimated in 82, it seemed like knowledge was doubling every 12 to 13 months. And then he predicted, based on some things IBM was saying, but he predicted that it was going to double every 11 to 12 hours. Now, I don't know what it's actually turning out to be because we're almost to 2020. But I think we would all agree that the quantity of knowledge is just exponentially exploding. Now, here's what Paul's saying. With all of this knowledge, are we any smarter? Is the human race wiser? Look at all we know now. And I think we would look around, most of us, and look at the news on any given day and say, it seems like we're dumber. Whether you want to talk about the world's problems, countries getting along, or just communities dealing with their problems, or, or how students learn, or, or working together in a company, wherever you want to point, would, most would say, I'm not sure we're smarter. It seems like we may know a lot more, but we're more foolish than ever. And I think what Paul's trying to get to see is that there's this fire hose of facts coming out, but in that fire hose of facts, we can lose sight of what's really true and what's really significant. And Paul says, what we're trying to explain to you is God's wisdom. And the mature understand it. But those who don't understand it, they just sort of write it off and say, that Christianity stuff, that Jesus guy, well, that's just goofy. And they write it off and say, forget that. And there's all kinds of very smart people with lots of knowledge who would say that today. But Paul wants us to see that we're not more foolish. To not be ashamed as Christians 
And he's trying to make the point in chapter 2 that we're actually smarter. Not because you and I are smarter. We're not. Our IQs are no higher than anybody else. But there's a secret we have, and that is that God is giving us his wisdom. And so in chapter 2, what he talks about, the wisdom of God and the power of God, the source. If you look over at 1 Corinthians 2, um, I want to read verses 9 and 10. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. So we're talking stuff beyond all the knowledge humans have gotten. These are the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. The spirit that searches all things, even the deep things of God. What Paul wants us to see in chapter 2 is the source of wisdom that we have available to us, which is also the source of power we have available to us so we can be weak and still be strong. That God knew we would need help and understanding and real wisdom. I was thinking about all that knowledge that's exploding I think a cool way to look at it is there is this enormous quantity of knowledge that's there, but we all would say, well, there's probably only a few things that are truly significant. But in that huge amount of knowledge, how do we know what's really significant? And God says, let me show you. Let me filter all of that information for you, and I'll show you what's really significant, what's really true what's genuine wisdom. And that's why he's given us his spirit. The creator and designer of all wants to share his wisdom with us. Not just human wisdom. If you think about if God is the source of our wisdom, he is the creator of all. He knows what really is significant. He knows what will work and what won't. Instead of all of these theories that are so true today and in three years they'll be thrown away. God's wisdom doesn't change. And he's sharing that with us. Now the result may be that we're going to look foolish to some other people. When God's wisdom says this is how you run a family. And others are going to say, well shoot, the new research says that won't work. No, God's wisdom says that's how you do it. How relationships should work in the workplace. Well, God says this is how it should work. New theories may come and go, but God's wisdom is always correct. And whether you want to talk economy or success in life or pleasure or happiness, there's always new information coming out to us. We're inundated with marketing. But God says the truth is I will give you the truth that is always true. The wisdom that will always work, and he does that through his spirit. So we get an advanced education. Jesus himself said something over in John 16 that I want us to hear because it's specifically about the spirit. John 16, so this is getting towards the end of Jesus' teaching of the disciples. He's been with them for three years. And then he says something to them. I have much more to say to you. More than you can now handle. 
But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Now think about what Jesus is saying, and I think it applies to us too. Jesus had been with these disciples, for some of them, for three years. And he'd been constantly teaching them. They would do things, and then they'd sit around the campfire and process it. They'd make mistakes, and he'd say, now here's why that didn't work. And Jesus was just trying to pour more and more into them because he knew what was coming. He was going to leave. So then he has, it's really not a, not a criticism. I think it's just sort of an honest statement. And he sort of says, I can see you guys aren't going to get all this. And if you think about the disciples, as they're going into Jerusalem, they're still arguing about, well, who gets to be first, Jesus? You know, and I'm sure Jesus is just like, you've got to be kidding me. Okay, we've talked about this. I washed feet. I, I showed this. You, got, you guys aren't getting it, are you? I don't think he was surprised. I think he knew this was going to happen. But he says, okay, I got so much more to explain to you guys. And at the rate at which you're learning, we're not going to get it all done. But that's okay. Because when I'm gone, you're going to get the master teacher. And there's advanced education I want you to have about life about Christianity, about faith, about the church. And the good news is I don't have to give it all to you right now during these three years. And when I'm gone, don't panic because you're going to say, what was it he said? Ooh, I wish I paid attention. He says, you don't need to panic because the Spirit is going to come. And he's going to be there and he will teach you. And he'll explain to you. And he'll remind you of what I taught you, Jesus says, somewhere else. And he will help you understand everything you need to understand. And if you look at the book of Acts, that's what happened. What Jesus promised in John 16 is actually what unfolded in the book of Acts. I want you to think about us needing to appreciate what we have. I think the fact that as believers, we have the Holy Spirit is something that's very easy for us to take for granted and sort of assume. Because it's always been, that's all we've known. But if you look at the, at the larger picture, both of history and of the population of our planet, we are the exception, not the norm. I don't know if you know this, but if you look at the Old Testament, the people of God, Israel, they did not have the Holy Spirit. There were a few people, leaders or prophets, who for a certain amount of time, because God needed them to do a certain thing, were told His Spirit would come, on, on, would come upon them. And they would prophesy. Or they would perform a miracle. But they, even then, they didn't necessarily keep the Spirit. It was for one specific time and purpose. But in general, they didn't have the Spirit of God. And if you look at our general population, they don't have the, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God does not live in every human. We just sort of assume, well, doesn't everybody? No. So whatever, I should have looked up the statistics, but whatever you want to calculate, 
if a third of the population of the earth has the Holy Spirit, is our believers in Jesus, then two-thirds of the earth does not have God's Spirit in them. They're left on their own, their wisdom, to figure out life and to do that in their own power. That's all they have. That's why in Acts 2, during the day of Pentecost, when the church starts, one of the main things Peter wants to point out in the first Christian sermon is the fact that this is something all of history has been waiting for. What you're seeing up here, Peter says. Let me read verses 17 and 18 out of his sermon. In the final period of history, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Our understanding of those promises, and it was actually a prophecy of the apostle, uh, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament. He said when the final period of history happens, the Messiah has come, and God's kingdom is breaking into human history, you're going to know that's happening because all of God's people are going to get the Spirit all of the time. And you'll see them do amazing things, not because they're amazing, but because in the new kingdom, God's kingdom, everybody gets his spirit who's a part of his kingdom. And Paul it wants them to understand, that's us. Church in Corinth, that's us. Christians in Andover, that's us. We are the beneficiaries. We are the recipients of this incredible gift that God would take up residence inside us to teach us things, to do lots for us. We could have a whole class in why the Spirit is here. Can I just hit on a few real quick? Part of what Paul is talking about in Corinthians, the Spirit is here to become our advanced teacher, to teach us truth. To give us truth of what will work in life, of what God is like, of how we can have a relationship with God. All of this truth, we need to know the Spirit is here to teach us. But the Spirit is also here to teach us about life, to give us guidance. What should we do with our lives? What is right and what is wrong? That's part of why the Spirit is here, is to help us understand what path should we walk? And to give us understanding, to explain, help us understand. Paul says a beautiful thing in Corinthians. He says the Spirit is God himself with God, and so he fully understands God. But of course, the other point Paul makes is, but he's also living inside us, so he fully understands us. And the beauty of that is that we get to gain understanding that we'd never figure out on our own, no matter how many computers we have. But because the Spirit is in us, both God is fully understanding us, and we can understand God. And that's part of why the Spirit is in us. But the Spirit is also here 
to help us. I want to add one more verse. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the spirit God gave us is not here to make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. This verse is such a promise to us who are believers of why that spirit is in us. To give us that strength, that divine strength. God's power so we can accomplish more than would ever seem possible. And would ever be possible if we were just on our own as humans. But he's also there to make God's love real to us. That we could understand that love and really believe, though we know we're not worthy. And we know we've blown it and we don't deserve it. But the Spirit is there to make, help us comprehend that God really does love us anyway. He does still love us. And to make that love real to us. And also self-discipline to help us do the right thing. To listen to God's wisdom and to follow it. But of course, one of the things that Paul is trying to point out is that the Spirit is not just for individuals. This is all being written in the context of a church in trouble. And as I said earlier, part of what Paul is trying to get them to understand is if you're in trouble, Corinth, if you're in trouble, it's because you're working in human wisdom and human power. And what you need to understand is God has given you the Spirit to help the church, to help your church know what's right, know the truth, and have extra human power. The fourth book, uh, the fifth book in our New Testament is called the Acts, and it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles. But I want you to go back and reread Acts, because I think in many ways we should have called it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because if you read the book of Acts and just look for the Holy Spirit, you could also entitle it The Church That the Holy Spirit Built. Because if you really look throughout the book of Acts, as the church spreads, as new churches are created and planted, it's the Spirit empowering, it's the Spirit guiding, it's the Spirit helping it happen. It's the church that God built through his spirit and that's a lesson we all need to hear and see today that it's still the the spirit that we need to rely on as a congregation I don't know if you've ever thought about this I have I have people ask why don't we see more miracles today why don't we see more of God's power but one of the principles you need to watch for is the more resources we have of our own, the more education we have, this is applies to individuals, not just churches. The more education we have, the more resources we have, the less we are prone to rely on God. And that's also true of the American church. I think there's one obvious reason why we see fewer miracles here. We have too much of our own wisdom, resources, buildings, you name it. We don't need to rely on God. And the problem is we often don't. 
we get a group of humans together, we make a human decision, and we base it on our resources. But what's fascinating is if you talk to missionaries in third world countries, they'll tell you, I don't care what continent you want to pick, they'll tell you, oh, God is working like crazy. We're seeing miracles every day. Because they know they have no resources and no power, and so they begin with prayer. And they're depending on God. And they're saying, God, that's the only way this can happen is you. And guess what? He shows up. God's wisdom is always smarter than human wisdom. God's power is always greater than human power. And that applies to us as individuals, but it also applies to churches. And that's what Paul wanted the Corinthian church to see. This isn't about us guys and our wisdom and who can have more power in the congregation as a human group. This is about listening to the Spirit and relying on God's power. So, do you want to be wise? We need to listen to the Spirit. I want to close with this verse. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. The admonition of Paul is we may have the Spirit. As Christians, we have the Spirit. But we have to listen. We have to pay attention. Any good teacher would tell you that. The day on which nobody's paying attention, the teacher knows that we didn't learn anything today. But when people are paying attention, they learn a lot. And Paul says the same thing works with the Spirit. You and I may have him. This church may have him, and we do. But our challenge is we have to listen. We have to pay attention so this great teacher can teach us. And we have to rely on his power and not just our own. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that we are privileged enough to live in the final age when your spirit is here on earth, in us, in this church. Help us understand how to listen to him, listen to the spirit, rely on the spirit, and not make the mistakes the Corinthian church made. But Father, most of all, I pray that each of us would listen to the Spirit in our own lives. Listen for your voice, listen for your wisdom, your teaching. Thank you, Father, for being here, for being in us. Thank you. Pray this in your Son's name. Amen.